0: please visit org.
1: Hi, this is Rabbi Morty Schwartz, and welcome again to Daily Doff Differently. Today, it's my privilege to take you through Nazir 12a. Uh, today, what we're going to do is a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to still introduce uh, a Mishnah. However, that Mishnah appears on 11b, rather than on uh, Daf 12. But since most of the material on Daf 12 uh, actually deals with that Mishnah, uh, we're going to actually begin with that Mishnah today and then move on uh, after we've talked about it conceptually a little bit and uh, talk about what the major arguments that the Talmud has uh, surrounding this Mishnah are. So uh, that Mishnah is Mishnah Nazir 2.5. It's the fifth Mishnah in the second chapter of Nazir. It's a very short Mishnah. It says the following thing. Reini Nazir, if a person says, behold, I am a Nazir, and I'm also going to make an additional vow that I am going to pay for all of the korbanot, all of the sacrifices that that Nazir has to bring at the completion of his term of his vow, Uh, Nazir. Right, That person is, in fact, a nazir, and they're going to also be on the hook for all of those sacrifices. Now, I actually want to say very briefly here, the phrase alay l'galeach nazir is a really, really interesting one. It means that it is upon me, it is my obligation, to shave a nazir. Now, it's interesting to note, we've talked about this before, or it's been talked about before, um, in previous Daily Daft Differently's that in fact uh, at the completion of the Nazir's term of of his vow he's going to cut off his hair and he's gonna throw it uh, up on the altar and I think the idea behind that is that it's like he's sacrificing himself the hair is really the only part of the body that can be cut off and thrown and burned up on the altar so he himself sort of functions as an Allah. Uh since that's the the most remarkable part of the completion of the term of the nazir's vow of uh, the ceremony for the completion of that term uh, what happened I think is that colloquially the, the term came to mean the galeach, to, to, to shave a nazir came to mean to help him complete his, his term of the term of his vow, to help him complete that ceremony and in this particular case it means uh, going ahead and paying for all of the sacrifices and what this is is it's a way for a person who has a little bit of money, to actually do a term of Nazirut, to do a term, so to speak, of uh, being a Nazir for a period of time without actually being a Nazir. They're paying for that Nazir's way and they don't actually have to take the vow upon themselves and take on those prohibitions of cutting of the hair, of uh, refraining from drinking wine, and of coming into contact with the dead. So it's like both people, both parties get credit, one for actually doing it and the other for paying for the sacrifices at the end. Now, this particular individual, has made a, a double vow. They have vowed to be an azir, so they're actually going to do it, and they're actually apparently going to pay for their own sacrifices. And then in addition, they're making this vow to pay somebody else's way at the end for the ceremony at the end, to pay for the sacrifices at the conclusion of their nizirut. Naz- so this person is essentially doing all of the work and paying double at the end. Right? Okay. Now the Mishnah continues and it says that there's somebody else around listening as this person makes this double vow, the amar, and they say, Va'ani. Me too. I also want to be a nazir. And it's also going to be my obligation to uh, to actually do the same thing. Uh, to pay for the way of a Nazir when he completes his ceremony to bring all of the sacrifices to the temple and to pay for them. So he's now signing himself up for that same double duty of, of both uh, paying for his own way and paying for somebody else's as well. Now, the, the Mishnah here makes a really interesting suggestion about how they can... Uh, economize, uh, so to speak, so that they are able to only pay once even though they've made this pow- vow to pay twice. Right? <speaking> the Mishnah tells us if they were smart about it, <speaking> then they would shave each other, meaning they would pay for each other's uh, ceremony at the end. They would each pay the other one's sacrifices and that would fulfill... Both of their vows to pay for a, a a nazir when he comes to his concluding ceremony to pay for all of the sacrifices. Well, at the same time, they're all both only paying once because each is paying the other's way. V'Imlav, but if they weren't, you know, clever about it, Megachi nazirim, then they're going to have to do do this business of paying double, they'll pay their own way and they'll also pay for some other nazir. So I guess the question here is do they want to be smart about it or do they not want to be a, be smart about it? Now the the Gemara immediately is going to ask about the phrasing va'ani and me too, right? So the question is when the person says and me too which I interpreted to mean and I want to be a nazir too Uh, Do you take it to mean just the first part of the person's statement, right? When I say, me too, does that mean when he says he wants to be a Nazir and he also wants to pay for the concluding ceremony of another Nazir, does that mean that when I say, me too, I'm only referring to the first half of his phrase, right? When he said he wanted to be a Nazir. And then I specify myself this, that I also want to do this business of double duty. Or does it mean I'm taking his whole phrase, right? That I want to be a Nazir and I want to pay for the concluding ceremony of another Nazir. And then I say it again, v'alayla galayach Nazir again, right? And I also want to do it a third time, pave my own way pay somebody else's way and then pay an additional person's way. Something along those lines is how we would then have to understand the statement. at the end of the day, the Gemara seems to conclude that we're going to take these statements contextually. When a person says, me too, and I also want to uh, pay the way for a Nazir's concluding ceremony, it's clear that I only meant the first part of, of the person's statement, that really I'm only obligating my, to my own, my own Nizirut and then somebody else's, one other person's concluding ceremony. Uh, pledge, and I'm not actually, you know, sort of making a larger, a larger pledge in, in, in using the entirety of that person's statement and then adding to it. Um, but there are other circumstances, the Gemara says, where I would include the entire ceremony, the, the, excuse me, the entire statement when I say, and me too, and we can think about those. The Gemara here is actually has a very nice, sensitive understanding of the way people talk in terms of philosophy of language. When a person says, me too, that can mean sometimes the entirety of what this person has just said, and in other circumstances it can mean only part of what this person said. And we we have a pretty good uh, apparatus as human beings for sorting that out. So... Uh, the next part of the, of the Gemara on, uh, on DAF 12 actually tries to juxtapose this case. And I'm going to leave a little bit out here to, to make it a little bit more general, but tries to juxtapose this case with a different case, uh, a case that, that actually when you first hear it sounds a little bit crazy. So a man decides he wants to be married, but he doesn't have a specific woman in mind, right? He just wants to be married to somebody. So he gets his servant, his messenger, his agent, and he says to to this person, go out and betroth a wife for me. And he doesn't say who he wants to be betrothed to. So he sends the messenger out, and presumably the messenger goes out and finds him a nice wife. Well, in the meantime, the guy's getting anxious and impatient. And uh, since we're in a polygamous society and he knows he can marry another woman... Uh, in addition to the wife that he sent out for, he goes ahead and he wants to marry some other woman that he finds himself. Well, the Gemara says such a thing is actually prohibited. Why? Because once another woman is betrothed, we have a a, a presumption, I guess you would say, that the agent has in fact actually betrothed someone. Once that woman is betrothed to him, he has no way of knowing whether he's marrying that woman's wife, sister, sister, uh, daughter um, any of those relationships with women that he would be prohibited from marrying. In other words, you, you're not allowed, by according to Torah law, to marry your wife's mother even after she has died. You're not allowed to marry your wife's sister in her lifetime, you're not ever allowed to marry your wife's daughter, even even following her death. So then the question becomes, well, who can he marry? There's the possibility that any woman he marries is going to be prohibited to him by dint of his pre-existing relationship, and he doesn't know to whom um, that the the agent has in fact sent out. So the question that that the Gemara raises when considering this case uh, that's related to our Mishnah is the following thing. Uh, The presumption that we have is that when I I establish uh, an agent, an agent is only going to uh, follow my instructions with regard to existing circumstances. So if, uh, in fact, uh, there's a woman who I meet who has no relatives at all except for a married sister uh and i i and and i've done this deal of sending out my agent to marry somebody else, I'm actually allowed to marry her. And I don't worry that maybe she's actually been, that this woman's sister who is married has actually become divorced and that my agent who I sent out has actually betrothed her sister. Why? Because the assumption is that at the time that I made my agency, that I made my mission for my agent, he went out into the world and he only had to deal with existing Circumstances, not changing circumstances. That seems to be the legal principle. And so, therefore, when I meet this woman who says to me, she in fact has a married sister and no other relatives, there's no danger that in marrying her I am violating the Torah's rule that I'm not allowed to marry my wife's relatives. Because the agent I sent out uh, could not possibly have betrothed one of her dead relatives, nor uh, could he have betrothed her married sister? And we assume that the circumstances are as they were when I send my agent out. So the question becomes this: When we relate, go back to our Mishnah. When the person says, "I want to be a nazir," and I want to pay for the ceremony, the conclusion ceremony of another nazir, and the other person says, "Me too." Well the first guy can't now say oh I'll pay for yours because we only deal with the existing circumstances at the time that he makes his vow. Just like the case of the the married woman. Just like the case of my establishing a messenger to go out marry a woman for me and then I meet a woman who in fact uh, doesn't have any relatives except for a married sister and I assume that she has not become divorced and has uh, and that it was she that the or it was her rather that the agent uh, that the agent uh, betrothed so since the, the the two cases don't seem to mesh nicely. We're in this very strange situation where the Mishnah seems to be going according to rules that allow an individual to actually account for changing circumstances from the time they make their vow. Whereas this other case, this case of sending the agent out to betroth someone, we assume that with regard to agency that things remain as they were and it seems to me it seems to the gemara i suppose also that the reason for this is that when it comes to agency we kind of have to make uh, allowances for the the uh, ongoing um betterment of of people's, people's legal transactions when they establish agents. We can really not account for all of these shifting, changing circumstances when I establish a messenger. When I send out a messenger, when I send out an agent, I have to assume that things are as they were at the time when I sent out a messenger. But when it comes to my own vows, uh, and I'm the individual who's actually able to make sense of my own vows, the Torah seems to give me power so even though we have a general principle shlucho shaladam kamoto that a person's agent is like themselves in regard to all things that's not always exactly true. The Torah does seem to have some exceptions. And so I guess the, the when it comes to the relevance piece the question becomes um, you know sort of do you do you when we when we think about sending out other people to do our bidding does that have the same kind of valiance that it would have if I do it myself? And we would also, you know, sort of throw forth the principle of mitzvah bo yotermi bishlucho, that it's a greater mitzvah for you to do something than it is for your agent to do it. Okay, so that's it for today, and I I hope to talk to you tomorrow.
0: I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently. And that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.